Welcome to the second episode of the Mindful Hour, a BPA podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Lightborn, a former psychology student and a communications officer at the Bahamas Psychological Association. Here at the Mindful Hour, we seek to tackle hot topic issues from a psychological perspective. Today's episode is on building support networks. We're going to start by breaking down what the current research looks like on the topic, and then we're going to let our guest expert, Ms. Philippa Dean, take the floor. When it comes to our mental health and well-being, studies have shown that having a good and trusted support network with strong relationships you can count on is vital. A support network refers to those people in your life that help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Family, friends, neighbors, church members, associates, and even work colleagues all make up your support network and offer different pillars of support during both happy and difficult times, helping us feel connected to a larger social group. Research has shown that Having a social support system can have a positive impact on your overall mental health, especially for women, older adults, patients, workers, and students. On a scale of 1 to 10, where a 10 was a great deal of stress and 1 is a little to no stress, a 2015 survey found that the average stress level for people with emotional support in place was 5 out of 10 as compared to 6.3 out of 10 for people without emotional support. Feeling a sense of belonging, such as what you get from intimate relationships or friendships, is in fact the third of our most basic human needs according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's right there behind physiological needs like food, water, warmth, and rest, and safety needs such as security and shelter. Therefore, it is important to have a support network made up of different people. This helps us to see problems in a number of different ways giving us a more complete picture of the situation. Having a few people you trust and can turn to for help can help you manage everyday challenges, make difficult decisions, or even overcome a crisis situation. It can also combat social isolation and loneliness, both of which can put you at higher risks for physical and mental health issues, including high blood pressure, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, and more. Having just one person in your support network is not enough, as you may over-rely on them and exhaust that person. All of us will encounter a time when our existing support network is inadequate. Relocating to a living situation, a new job, becoming a new parent, or even just wanting to take up new hobbies are, are all examples of when you may need to add to your support network. As a first step, recognize the supports that are currently present in your life, which you can approach And depending on your need, create a list of people you trust, already know, and the strengths and contacts they can offer. Once completed, you can start to look further at your local community. So, Ms. Philippa Dean, 
thank you for joining us today to talk about building support networks. Hi, Shannon. It's a pleasure to be with you today talking about support networks. I'm really excited to do this because I think during the pandemic, we, we changed our lives a lot. Like we changed the way we live, the way we communicate, mm -hmm. how our support networks functioned. So mm -hmm. I think this is a great time, especially now that people are getting back out of the houses and meeting up with old friends. It's a good time to talk about building support networks, what a support network is and why it's important. Mm -hmm. And not just so, building them, strengthening the ones that, you know, currently exist, eh? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you enlighten us a little bit about your background and how you got to this point where you have expertise in building support networks? <laughs> okay, no problem. That word expertise makes me a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and say this, but personally, I'd say the fact that I am human, I am someone's mother, godmother, daughter, sister, cousin, friend, and even mentor. I think that is what qualifies me when it comes to building support networks. And I think for each of us in our own right, you know, we are somewhat of an expert um, in the support networks that we have in our lives, the ones that we've built and the ones that we've maintained. But when you look at a professional perspective, um, I would say that foundation for me was laid about 12 years ago as a trained secondary school teacher. It was important for me to help my students at that time to strengthen and build the support networks that they needed to help them get through and then transition on to college. In the space of mental health, um, just working with my clients and having to create or help them build support network to help them cope with some of the stresses that they've been dealing with has provided me with that um, a certain level of knowledge and experience, I won't say expertise, when it comes to building support networks. Okay, so... Not expertise, but experience. Yes. So you've worked with secondary school children, that would be teenagers, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think we all recognize adolescence as a difficult time, a time of transition, and a time where we are really figuring out who we are, who we could talk to, who we could go to for support. Mm -hmm. And that's always very important. I was wondering from a historical perspective in this country, what mm -hmm. role do you think support networks have played in the lives of the average Bahamian? Mm -hmm. um, being a small island nation and being comprised of so many um, small islands, and I don't just mean in, in terms of size, because we know Andrews, for example, right, it's mass, it's huge. But I'm talking about uh, just the culture and the way we um, interact with each other, especially on our out islands or what they call the family islands. I believe that support networks, they have always played a, a huge role in the traditional Bahamian community, um, particularly the family, right? And neighbors, um, 
they provided individuals in those circles with counsel. Like very rarely you heard people talk about therapists and counselors because the grandparents and you know the aunts and the uncles and your huge number of cousins, they became your counselors, right? So that counsel and that advice and the encouragement and learning to regulate behaviors or social behaviors, um, a lot of that came from the family. And um, we, we hear stories, I've heard stories about neighbors who played an intricate role in rearing children, especially when it came to discipline. You know, you may have heard someone said, oh, well, it was okay back then for my neighbor or uh, my mom's friend to pull me aside and provide discipline um, to me if I was ever seen doing something out of order. Um, we also see that support coming in, in terms of sharing tangible goods and materials, right? You could knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, I'm out of, what, some flour and I'm making bread. You know, can I have a cup or two? Um, so food, clothing, discipline, all of those things um, were evident in the traditional Bahamian community when it came to support networks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we've all heard those stories from our grandparents mm -hmm. <laughs> about how life used to be, especially when they're talking about how life is now. Yeah. Especially living in Nassau, New Providence is it's become jam-packed. Like we live, we're so close to each other, but at the same time, sometimes it feels like we don't always even know who our neighbor is. Yes, yes. So do you think that role, the role of support networks has changed? Do you think they've shifted in any way? Mm -hmm. I, I believe that there's a degree of evolution that has happened. I don't think that the role that support networks are meant to be playing has changed. So when I say that, I mean that support networks have always been around to help you, me, us right? Whether it be in attaining some physical goal, some mental goal, some financial goal, some social goal, they've always been there to help us. I don't believe that that has changed. What I do believe, Shannon, has changed is where we now search out that support and who we look to, to give us that support, um, that guidance, that that encouragement. So you, you use the example of living on New Providence, for example, where it feels congested, like there are so many people, but you can be in the midst of all these people and still feel disconnected or not connected or not supported, right? But I don't believe that the support has moved. I believe that there are other things that has probably um, distracted us. And, um, you know, we've had unhealthy or broken relationships and friendships that it has kind of wedged, you know, that mist, build that mistrust and cause us not to rely on those support networks like we used to. Um, so people are not connecting maybe because of trauma and, you know, broken relationships and unhealed relationships. Um, from my observation and from my experience, I've witnessed that today's support, um, where it's coming from, it's increased in areas like such as the church, 
you know, the church has always been present, but I find now that people are relying more on the churches that they are a part of for support, um, the churches, small groups. Um, you see the presence of civic organizations. You see and you hear them, you know, sometimes acting as first responders and, and continually being there to support families, to support individuals and support even other institutions. And then this thing called technology, right? We now have online groups that people are joining and becoming a part of so that they can find support in different areas of their lives. You have, I'm sure you've heard the term life coaches, right? Yeah. So they're now becoming a form of support system or network for people. So I believe, I honestly believe that people are now looking outside of the traditional family where they want and neighbors, where they once found support into other areas now. Um, I believe just that today it has evolved, it has changed, but it's now providing people with more options when it comes to who their support network networks are. Yes. Um, I know for me personally, my family lives in Canada. So mm -hmm. like, especially during COVID, I can't travel, but just technology has really enabled me to be able to stay in contact. You know, mm -hmm. video chatting with somebody is, isn't the same as seeing them in person, but right. it offers a lot of the same, I think, the same benefits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's important to, and at the end of it, that's all networks are, right? Connections. Yeah connections, not necessarily how you're connecting or what's facilitating the connection, but that you are connecting. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we can just go into just talking about gener generally what the benefits of support networks are. Because I think some people understand that we all need people, but mm -hmm. psychologically there are known benefits that that come along with having people in our lives who can support us mm -hmm. so we were we we were created for community right mm -hmm. we were just created to be in communities and to connect with other people to be in relationships with with other people um and you know sometimes that isolation may be good for some persons, you know, just to reflect and rejuvenate and plan. But at our core, like you've mentioned, psychologically, we need to be connected. That's a part of um, Maslow's hierarchy, right, of our needs. We need to be connected with people. Um, you mentioned that there are psychological benefits, and I agree. But I, I also know that there are physical benefits to being connected and having support networks. Uh, what we do know is that support networks, um, they are vital, they're important for the overall well-being of an individual. And having those support networks that are healthy, they help us to cope when life throws us a curveball or throws us a lemon. Um, those support networks could also help us heal and recover from life challenges, whether it's loss of job or loss of a loved one or surviving a natural disaster. And one of the benefits or another benefit of social networks is that they can kind of insulate you or prevent you from having some of these experiences like altogether. 
our support networks are not just for the hard times and the difficult times that we're going through, but they're also meant to be there for the highlights of our lives. Um, as I shared earlier with someone else that, you know, having a new baby, for example, into the family, that's cause for celebration, right? Um, so it's these shared celebratory moments that are also a benefit of being in a network or a group of people that genuinely love and care for you that they could also celebrate and you can begin to build uh, um, those cherished memories, those precious memories, and you celebrate those, whether it's graduations and first jobs or promotions and marriages. So those are just some of the benefits. And I, I honestly believe that the effectiveness or how effective a support network is in your life depends on how that network is structured, who makes up that network. Um, some networks, for example, are made up of, if you're looking at elevating yourself professionally, some of your networks may be made up of, they may be larger, but relationships are very informal, right? And um, what those connections might be able to do is offer you new connections, greater connections that advance whatever your professional goal might be. Um, they may provide mentorship. Um, but then there are some networks that you will find will be more personal. They'll be much more intimate. And they may not offer you other new vast connections that advance you professionally. But in terms of that emotional and that psychological support that you may need, they can do that. Um, what I appreciate, like I alluded to earlier, is that um, support networks, they also have a physical benefit or physical benefits. And the latter, we don't focus on it that much or we don't really talk about it that much or place emphasis on it. But the science does show that when we have strong, healthy support networks, it can increase our immunity. It could even speed up our healing process. You may have seen videos or movies or heard stories about, let's use, for example, babies born prematurely or, you know, their, their chance of survival um, is very low. And then you have mothers that, um, you know, they go into the hospital and they're, they're touching and they're speaking to these babies and they're um, getting these babies, laying these babies on their chest so they can feel the warmth of their bodies. Like that's proven, that, that's been proven to have um, a positive impact on the healing of that little human being. Um, so your support networks can have a physical benefit as well. And again, this is a most important part is that it could protect you against mental illnesses, right? Like anxiety, like uh, depression, which we know they are marked by loneliness and isolation. And it could just cause things to be that much worse. So having strong networks, they give people a sense of belonging, right? We need those connections and social connections. They give us accountability as well, right? Sometimes we need, in order to, to, to reposition ourselves or get ourselves at a better place in life, we need persons to hold us accountable for new behaviors, new thought processes, um, shared moments, the new babies, the graduation, the promotions, the highs and the lows. And then another benefit that I appreciate about support networks 
is a broadens perspective. And sometimes we need our perspectives to shift or to be widened, right? To see things a bit differently um, because there can be possibly beauty in that. Um, so yeah, those are just some of the benefits that I, I, I see or I've observed from my experience that people can gain from creating and sustaining um, support networks. Am I talking too much? <laughs> oh, no, I, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. No, absolutely not. No, um, I, I really appreciate it. I think what you're saying is very important. And I think, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I love that we're doing this podcast and getting the, these messages out there because these are important conversations. And I think yes. you need to speak <laughs> openly about them. If you or someone you know are experiencing the effects of Hurricane Dorian or COVID-19, don't suffer in silence. Call our helpline. You can call or WhatsApp every day between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Our numbers are, for our general lines, 816-3799, 812-0576, 815-58. 50. For our male adult line, call 821-8123. For our Creole lines, call 454-2933 or 357-9177. For our Abaco line, call 822-4211. And for our child and adolescent and parent support line, please call 819-7652. You're not in this alone, and we are here to help. Welcome back, Ms. Dean. We are going to move on to the next segment in this, where we basically want to talk about the type of people who, like, how people individually, how their personalities or their interests or their needs affect how they build support networks and the types of or quantities of support networks that they need. So, you know, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. Do those types of personalities, does that make it harder to build support networks? And say, do you think introverts need less support networks? I wouldn't say no support networks, but do you think there mm -hmm. are certain people who have, whose need for support networks are different than others? Mm. Okay, Ooh, that's a lot of questions in one. Oh. <laughs> this okay, let me see if I could break that down and you could, you'll, you'll help me out if I get a little lost. Okay, yeah, no, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no problem, Shannon. So um, if I may, there's this show I'm watching currently on Netflix called Love on a Spectrum or Love on the Spectrum. Oh, have you heard of it? I love that show, I love that show. Shannon. I, so do I. So do I. And hearing that question just now brings that show to mind. Because if 
you know little or nothing about the spectrum or spectrum disorders, um, you may think that it is difficult for persons on the spectrum to form support networks. But when you watch the show, you, you see that they are trained. They can be trained in the skill of making a connection. Um, so it puts me in a position where I honestly believe that support networks um, can be built regardless of your personality type um, or even a disability that you may be struggling with. I believe that um, you can be taught how to create those connections. Um, and one way we know connections are built is through interests and hobbies, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that a single personality type is needed to build support networks. Um, whether you are an introvert, an extrovert, an ambivert, uh, once you can form relationships and make connections, you can build a support. Um, it's, it is those uh, types of connections that become your network. I think it's easy to believe that because a person is an extrovert, for example, and is always in the social setting or making social connections and they're energized by these social connections that they have more support and stronger support networks. But that's not necessarily the case, right? Um, knowing more people and just on a surface level doesn't necessarily mean that you have a strong support network in those people. Um, I believe that we all, regardless of our personality type, can build support networks. Some personality types, though, like the extrovert, um, they may have an easier time, but it doesn't mean that the, the, their support networks are stronger and healthier. They just may have an easier time building them. Um, yeah. You asked, if I'm not mistaken, you can clarify, you asked if different people have different needs. Yeah, like regarding the size or types of social networks that you that they may need in their life to support them. Right, right. So, yes, I'd answer yes to that. I do believe that people um, people vary in what they need. Again, going back to love on a spectrum. If you look at um, the individuals uh, filmed in that series or that documentary, those. Those individuals need that psychological and that, that physical support that comes from someone other than their primary caregivers. And that's something that they desire, that they, they, they long for. They may have a challenge in making the connections, but then they, they do make the connections. Um, I believe that people are continually, and I think you may have mentioned this at the start of our podcast, that people are continually evolving or modifying some of their support networks, right? And I believe that modification comes based on what our needs are at any given time in our life. I'll go back again. To, let me use a personal example. Uh, almost four years ago, I had my first child and 
listen to me. After a few months, I had to pick up the phone and call my mom and say, look, miss, thanks. Like, I don't know how you did it with all eight of us just a year apart on your own. Is the reality. She, she didn't do it alone. She couldn't do it alone. I couldn't do it alone. I needed support that came from my husband and outside of my house husband. It came outside of my house. I, I had to look to my sister who had her own family. I had to look to my husband's mom who had her own family. I had to even look to a hired caregiver because my need at that time, having introduced a new person to my life and to my household, I couldn't do it on my own. Right. And then I needed to reach out also to medical assistance because I needed um, a midwife at that time to help me go through the process. So our needs change, they evolve, you know, and we have to evolve with them and our networks have to evolve with them. Um, so whatever your goal is, I do believe that your network will change, especially if you want to achieve or attain that goal, you have to get a support network or build one that could help to facilitate, facilitate um, your progress. Uh, I believe that people's interactions or a person's interaction with people who make up their support networks also change. And that interaction with someone in or within your support network could change due to varied circumstances. Um, betrayal, or mistrust, um, someone becomes unemployed, someone has to move, someone dies, someone becomes ill. All of these things can affect interaction and the network itself, its structure. Um, let's look at, if I could mention, um, some types of support, because this question kind of alludes to that as well. Like support doesn't always come in the same form. So you have different people, yes. With different needs, yes. With or in different places of their lives, yes. So then are there different types of support that these people can get? Uh, yes. One, one type of support, support is, let's look at a materialistic support or tangible support that people may get. And this may look like providing persons who may need shelter. Let's think of a family that might have lost, tragically lost their house and, it, and their possessions due to a fire. Their most immediate needs from their support networks, whether it's family or the extended community, a church or a civic group, they're going to need stuff like clothing, food, shelter. So some aid that come from support networks can be tangible. Then you have the support that looks, that's emotional support. Uh, you just receive some bad news and you need someone, someone in your tribe, someone in your circle um, who's caring, someone who you trust, someone you have, to, you have a level of closeness with too. Just give you a hug. Something as simple as holding your hand or just sharing with you words of encouragement giving you that emotional support. And then some people are in need of what we call um, information and you can support them that way. They may need information on, let's say I need um, to find out more information about a charity or a government agency or organization that can help me with this difficult thing that I'm dealing with or 
I may need to know more information about this illness I've just been diagnosed with. Um, I may need to know where can I go to get some skills built or some training done so that I could um, change my circumstances or better my circumstances. So informational support is another way that we can support people or a type of support that people may need. So people will be in different places at different times of their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, mm -hmm. People have, everybody has unique needs. And I think, I think, in a way, we're all aware of the fact that our, our social networks change as we age, mm -hmm. as we move, as, mm -hmm. as things, you know, there's the whole like idea that, you know, when you get married, all of a sudden, you only want to be friends with other married people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it, and it makes sense that we want to, we want the support that we need the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I so, think that's vital because it goes right back to the fact that the, the purpose of having the support network in your life is to help you navigate life itself and the changes, the highs and the lows that you're faced with. So with new chapters should come new networks, right? Yes, yeah. It, it, it's, I guess part of it is who you're seeing more regularly, who the types of people you're running into more, but also the type of, the type of advice. So like you said, informational support that you need, type of material support emotional, psychological, all of those things that we get mm -hmm. from other people in different ways. Mm -hmm. So when we think about those support networks that are in our lives, um, it's so important that we assess them because I know that our longest standing, if I could use that word, Support network work is the family. Um, but in working with some, some persons, I've found that the family itself, you know, and some of the dysfunction that may exist um, is not satisfying or helping, is not conducive to the individual trying to cope in a healthy way or even improve um, their life. So I think it's also important for us to consider the health status, if I could use that term, of the support networks that are in your life. Yeah, I'm really glad you touched on that because that is actually a question we wanted to ask. We wanted to ask about how do you, how does one evaluate the strength or like you said, the health status of the support networks that we already have. Mm, yeah. So again, that, I think that's extremely important. So important. And I think it's not just for social support or support networks, but in every area of our life, I, I think that um, assessing and reassessing is, is vital to growth, right? And I always say to people like, what's working? Oh boy, do more of it. Right. But when it stops working, you have to let it go. And then you have to search out new tools and new skills and new information that makes that is workable. 
And one of the things that make finding new skills and information that is workable is having support networks. Um, I think it's the teacher and me, that background, that foundation that's gonna say, ask yourself some questions, right? Mm -hmm. Like what are some of the questions that you could ask yourself to assess whether or not the current support systems that you have are adequate to meet your needs, whatever those needs may be, right? Social, psychological, physical. And some of the things that you can ask yourself is, do I feel encouraged or empowered? Like being connected to this person, having this person in my tribe or being a part of their tribe. Do I feel encouraged? Do I feel empowered to pursue whatever that goal or that dream or that desire is that I possess? Mm -hmm. Right? And that's a question only you can ask or answer. Another question could be, show me the evidence. Can I see? Can I see my healing? Like, can I see my healthy coping? Can I see any growth? Is there evidence of me being in a different place than I was back then before I met and connected with you or I became a part of you, became a part of my, my support system. So is there movement and is that movement forward or backward, right? And this goes for personal or even professional. You can even ask yourself, do I feel loved or do I feel, feel cared for? Am I coping with this issue in a healthy way? Or am I coping with this issue in a way that is different from how I was coping before you became my support network? Am I growing from it? Am I moving forward as a result of it? So I believe those types of questions um, would help you to decipher whether or not um, your current support network is adequate or or strong enough uh, for you at that time. And, and sometimes it's difficult to transition out of those networks or build newer ones, but though it's difficult, it's absolutely necessary, right? Because it goes right back to this whole conversation at its core, is this all for your well-being, right? Um, yeah. That's my take on it. <laughs> Thank you. I, I love the I love the questions. That mm. is a good that is that is a good way to evaluate things in your life versus like I don't know. I think maybe it's the psychology student in me. <laughs> Can I ask Shannon? And I know this is not me interviewing you, but just okay. from experience, have you ever had to evaluate any of the social networks that you've been a part of? Oh yeah, for sure. Um stuff like family, friends, relations, like romantic relationships, at some point mm-hmm. you have to, you have to sit down and think like, is, cause there's sometimes there's a point where there's a change. Mm-hmm. It, it, a friendship in high school or in college may have been fun, but now that you have a job, you don't see each other anymore. Somebody moves away or maybe somebody just, maybe you change, maybe somebody else changed and the relationship just doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't make you happy anymore yeah yeah you know so even when you love somebody or you want to keep them if 
if it's a struggle to talk to somebody, if it doesn't feel like it's adding anything to your day, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to maintain those relationships. And it's mm-hmm. hard to know. It, I guess it's also hard to know what is worth fixing and what is worth letting go of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, and again, this is where, remember that question you asked earlier about different types of support and different types of need? This mm-hmm. is This could be a prime example of when you're going to need to have a support system that's outside of this one that you're currently struggling with that could provide some insight and perspective, right? That could help you make the decision because sometimes making those decisions on your own is difficult and it's not necessarily those support systems making the decision for you, but just um, helping to guide, advise, and add to perspective. Yes, yes, yeah. like outside perspectives. Yes. It's always nice. I feel like it's always nice as I've gotten older to um, just hit up my mommy, you know? Mm-hmm. Get her and some, so, so that means some support networks aren't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, just, you know, someone with more experience. Yes. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. and someone who you know is on your side. Yeah. Um, we were actually supposed to take a break, but I think, well, we wanted to talk a little bit more. I guess we want to discuss a little bit more about, because we talked about evaluating our existing support networks, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. also wanted to talk about how, how do you, how do you, where do you go when you know you need to build a new support network or say, expand the support network? How do you go about growing a support network as opposed to figuring it out, figuring out what that support network means to you or what you need out of it? Mm. Oh, that's really good. It's really good. Um, uh, and sometimes you could you can do this um, from observation, just observing. First, let me backtrack. Let's backtrack to knowing what it is that you want, though, and knowing what it is that you need and which direction you want to go in. And then you can observe persons within your community or in your surroundings, and not necessarily people you know, but people who might be, or persons who may be public figures, you can observe what they are doing, if what they are doing closely aligns with where you wanna go and what you wanna do, you can kind of observe where they're going, see what their support systems and networks look like. And you can mimic those, right? Another way you can build strong support networks is good communication. As with any relationship that we're in, communication is vital. Not just communication, but good communication. Um, And having good communication in this context means that your needs, whatever they may be, that you're able to make them clear to the person or persons or groups that is making up your support network. Not only do you wanna make clear to them what your needs are, but you have to say to them, what do you need 
from them. See, because I can have a need, Shannon, and I can make it very clear to you what I need, but you might not be in a position to meet that need for me. So if I can specifically say to you, Shannon, okay, let me see if I can put this in a practical, more practical sense. Shannon, I need, I need $20,000. I need that too. I'm just going to use it as an example, pay off my college, my college tuition. I am making this need known to you, but I've not said exactly what I need from you. You may not even be in the position to do it, but how do I make clearer to you what I need from you? I will say to you, Shannon, I need $20,000 to pay off my college tuition. I need for you to put me in contact with. You see where I'm going? Mm -hmm. So good communication means that you are expressing what your needs are. You're making them known, but you're also making clear to the person you're expressing them with what exactly you need from them. Wow. Another way that we can build support, stronger support networks is through connecting with people who share common interests. And I said this earlier, who have things in common with you. Well, you know, what are your hobbies? What are your special interests? And do we sure share or hold those things in common? Another way you build stronger support networks is through growing your professional network. Are you connecting and being intentional about, let's say, if you choose to have a social media presence, are you connecting on those social media platforms like LinkedIn, for example, where other professionals are? And are you connecting with those professionals, again, whose interests, special interests, hobbies, professional goals seem to align with what yours are? So we need to connect with people. We need to have good communication with people. We need to grow our professional network if that's where we are. Get out there and meet new people. And yes, we spoke earlier about the different types of personalities where some personalities find it more easy or easier, I should say, to connect with people socially and others have a more a difficult time, right? And here's one that's my favorite, especially living in the Bahamas. That is letting go of pride, okay? <laughs> and the ego. Sometimes pride gets in the way of us advancing ourselves personally and professionally. We don't want to connect or we don't want to, let me not say don't want to. Because of pride, we don't want to connect. Or because of pride and even rejection, you know, the ego doesn't like to be rejected, right? We don't want to reach out. We don't want to connect. We don't want to communicate. So that can be a hindrance to us growing stronger support networks. Um, empathy, empathy and compassion. Oh, we need it at our core as, as not behemoths, as humans. Being empathetic and compassionate. When we are empathetic and compassionate toward, uh, toward others, it is more likely that it's going to be reciprocated. And when that happens, we build connections and we grow our support network, right? 
and sometimes getting stronger support networks or growing them or building them simply means the taking stock of what you currently have and where you currently have support networks that could use a little bit of strengthening, then go ahead and strengthen that, strengthen them. And sometimes strengthening them means getting outside help, whether it's counsel, whether it's therapy, whether it's just venting, you know, and trying to iron out difficulties. When If you find that you can't do it on your own or together, then get that outside help, right? You could strengthen the supports that you currently have by continuing to or increasing your bonding time or the time that you share together, that intimate time. Um, yeah, so I know that was a mouthful, but the current networks you have, you can definitely make them stronger and you can build networks through good communication, connecting with people, growing your professional network, being empathetic, letting go of pride and eager, showing compassion. Because if you sow it, you will reap it. It will be reciprocated. Thank you. Thank you for that. It was it was a lot, but I think it was good information. I think yeah. I think I follow I follow along. I didn't get lost. Okay. Um, I I do want to tie that back to how we were talking about like love on the spectrum and mm -hmm. per se people who adults who may find themselves who they, they can they can listen to you say this talk about yes. good communication and all that and still not be sure exactly how to do that how to do but it yes i just want to emphasize what we talked about earlier in that you can practice you can learn mm -hmm. you can train yourself to mm -hmm. or get to training exactly mm -hmm. in social situations yes so that's so powerful and and I, I like that you brought us back to that you reiterate it you highlight it because skills building and training in an academic setting in a social setting is quite possible for most unless you are experiencing some let's say extreme mental or physical disability that you're living through that acts as a huge barrier, right? Um, for you to get the skills training and building um, that you need. But more so than not, it is quite possible. Um, that's how it looks in a practical sense. And we have access to training tutorials. We have access to professionals who have been trained and can train you, right? Or can, tr can train your primary caregivers who can then um, work with you in practice, right? And not just in theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But practice, I think, is really key. Yeah. Uh, so thank you again. Um, I just want to take another quick break. And when we get back, I just wanted to finish up this conversation by talking about support networks and their importance in a disaster context. Building a personal support network is also key to disaster preparedness for 
individuals, families, and the vulnerable population, such as persons with disabilities, the elderly, children and adolescents, and migrants. In a 2020 study, several researchers showed that adversity affects the size of personal networks and the availability of social support resources in a community. In emergency situations, personal networks are placed under immense pressure. This strain weakens certain ties, affecting relationships that typically provide companionship, emotional support, cognitive guidance, social regulation, material help, and access to new contacts. This leads to a state of crisis that endangers individuals' psychosocial identity and their ability to functionally adapt to the consequences of the natural disaster. Notably, at the compositional level, close family members have higher values in the provision of social support, which reaffirms the importance of relatives in the constitution of personal, personal networks. Previous studies have shown that despite the decreasing network diversity caused by natural disasters, family relationships remain stable. Social ties among relatives are fostered in an environment of trust and the provision of support, which includes immediate support in times of need, becomes natural in a family context. First, networks with social bridges and external relationships have more opportunities to receive positive feedback and advice and to express emotions. Second, weak ties, far from creating alienation, seem to be vital for victims' recovery and relief in the immediate aftermath of a disaster. The possibilities offered by contact with external actors can facilitate interactive mobility between individuals and foster relationships with support providers. These positive changes can subsequently increase the availability and effectiveness of diverse forms of humanitarian assistance. Welcome back. We've had a very interesting conversation so far, and I think got some very good tips in there. And before we go, I just wanted to talk about support networks in the context of disasters, because we, we've been living in, I guess, a post-Dorian, yeah. I wouldn't say post-COVID, but you know we've 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 had a couple things going on ongoing challenges mm -hmm. that we as this country have been facing and i suppose we as the world have been facing so when we talk about building support networks in your experience how do you, what do you what do you see as perhaps the challenges with building support networks in say, lower income communities? Um, I've not had much opportunity or experience with working um, with lower income communities and building support, support networks. But 
I would imagine so that most of the support that these communities may receive are external. Um, and when I say external, I mean more so that they reach out to or they find support um, coming from agencies, whether governmental or private, um, governmental organizations or private organizations um, in creating their support. Um, I envision, however, or based on how I've been designed naturally and my professional pursuits, I believe that when um, lower income communities are supporting or sorry, forming their support networks that those networks should also come internally, right? And when I say that, I mean focusing on what their strengths and what their skill sets might be in those lower income communities and how could you use those to empower um, that those communities or those persons living in those types of communities. Um, I don't think that it is impossible for them to have support networks. I believe that it's quite possible for them to have internal and external support networks. I also believe that with persons living in these types of community, it is extremely important for them to have support networks because again, support networks are those groups of people who, are, who make up our lives whether biologically or not, or a part of our lives. And they are the ones that are giving us that extra boost or that extra push to help us navigate the difficult situation that we're in or difficult circumstances in an attempt to help us get better, do better, be better. Um, I do know from reading and learning that Sometimes people in this type of setting can be in constant survival mode. And we know that being in survival mode impacts the way we interact with each other and the way we perceive things. Um, so it may, it may be so much harder to um, provide the support uh, to such persons uh, like they, um, that they would need. Mm -hmm. You mean because of the, the, the mindset or yes. the ongoing psychological challenges or not just psychological, but just daily challenges. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I guess in a similar vein, we talked about lower income communities, but there are also vulnerable populations, which is which covers a wide variety of different groups. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think are some of the key components that needs that we need to keep in mind when we think about building support networks for specifically with vulnerable populations. So when we talk about vulnerable populations, we mean people who are disabled, people who may not speak the dominant language, people who may be living in a country where they're undocumented, um, different minority groups, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I like this question. I, I really do because sometimes persons who are at a disadvantage or considered or classified as the, the vulnerable or a vulnerable population that's among us, 
um, it's so easy for them to be overlooked, right? It's so easy for them to be overlooked. And as you've stated that these are persons living in these conditions or within these circumstances, um, their needs vary because there are so many, and you just shared an example of um, how many categories and different categories of persons can be classified as um, disadvantaged or a vulnerable population. Um, but some of the things that are very common or some of the needs that are common among them, regardless of where they fall, um, whether they be migrant, whether they be the elderly, whether they be the really young, whether they be people living with disabilities, they have physical needs right? Psychological needs. They have social needs, etc. Mm -hmm. um, so when we're dealing with them and helping them to support, uh, build or create um, support networks, some of the things that we should consider is um, how their current situation is impacting or making worse their, their mental health position or their physical health position, right? And classifying what their most current needs are and trying to address those accordingly. Um, another thing that's so vital is assessing the level of safety that they have, the psychological safety, physical safety, right? Like, and trust, because this population or these populations they are at a higher risk for being abused and even exploited. So it's important for them to be connected with people or find support systems um, that make them feel safe, that makes them feel important or makes them feel like they can trust. Um, another thing to consider would be size. Um, the size of their support system. Let's take, for example, someone who is living with an extreme disability, a physical one or a mental one, and they're not very mobile and they are highly dependent on their primary caregiver. Um, such an individual might need a larger support network. Here's why, because if there are two people, for example, or just one person who is the primary caregiver, it is highly likely that that caregiver can become burned out. So in a case like this, they may need several persons, whether they are neighbors, um, extended family members, a medical team or a personal assistant or someone um, who is able to care for that person living with a disability as well as provide some form of aid and relief to the primary caregiver. So the size of these people's uh, support system is also important to take into consideration, right? Um, another thing I can think of is connecting these persons with, and vulnerable populations that is, with um, government agencies that can assist them, um, pro bono and charitable services, um, especially ad advocate or advocacy groups, right? Um, to lobby on their behalf, to impact and affect 
or even implement policies that would work in their favor to protect them from further disadvantage or even um, exploitation. Um, yeah, and providing them, I'd say, at the core, what information could be give them, what skills, again, I'll, I'll continually come back to skills building and, and training and coping strategies to help people heal um, and potentially recover from whatever it is that they may be uh, are dealing with, right? Being a part of a specific uh, population that may be classified as vulnerable or disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I like the part with, uh, about government agencies and how, and government policy as well, I suppose, of how I think, I mean, generally, we have to ensure that people aren't being like vulnerable populations aren't being mistreated aren't being abused or misled miss sorry i forgot the word i was going to say but yeah i i definitely think there's it's they are very a lot of people from vulnerable populations are overlooked when in fact i think they are groups who perhaps depend on support networks more than anybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and one thing all of this has taught me too is that you will have some people who are born into circumstances, right, that put them in a position where they don't get to choose. They don't get to choose who their support networks are, right? Um, but the families that they're born into, and this is one of the reasons why the family will be the longest standing and possibly the most stable form of support network because again, I'll use um, someone's phys uh, physical challenge or mental uh, disabilities that really, really uh, put them in a position where they are highly dependent on family as support network or an institution as support network. They, they, they don't get to choose. For mobility purposes, they may not be able to go out there and meet new people and establish new relationships and connections, right? Or even get to explore hobbies per se. Um, they may not even have the cognitive capacity to connect. So the systems that they are born into or the support networks they're born with are the ones that they are left with. Um, and in situations where that happened, those of us who are spectators or maybe on the outside or even advocates, um, I do believe that as humans, we do have a responsibility to, to offer or lend you know, our support in circumstances like this. Um, I know we're crunched for time, but I just wanna share this. I read a news story last month or a few weeks ago. Um, it, was, it was in the news of, um, a young man living with uh, some challenges and he's being raised and cared for by his mom and he desires to be a police officer. And his neighbor who is a police officer, patrol officer, often takes him out in the patrol car and you know they, they do their impersonations or whatever. And I thought that was so humane. I thought it was so compassionate. I thought it was so empathetic um, that a neighbor could see another neighbor and just offer himself to being a support network to her and her son. And I, th I think again, compassion is what, one of the things that is vital to 
establishing and building and continuing to strengthen the support networks that we, we currently have. So you don't always have to be born into one. They can be created and you don't always have to reach out for one. But the persons that are observing, I can say to you, just reach in sometimes, you know, just reach in sometimes and lend, lend yourself as a support system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that's a great message. I, I also, I, I, I'd like you said, I know we're quick crunch for time, but I, I've been saying this for a long, a long time, but I wish we had public recreational activities mm-hmm. for various populations. I always think about like the elderly who are retired and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't go out as much. Are we, I, I, I never understood why we couldn't have things like public gardens, like yes. gardens, you know, yeah, uh, a knitting group, thinking things like that, where we can create spaces for people who are vulnerable, people who aren't, who don't have as many opportunities mm-hmm. to go out and meet people. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, someone who's listening to this podcast may be inspired, right, or may have an aha moment and decide to create such a support group or support network, especially for those persons. Let's use, for example, the elderly population that may be living in an institution, right? Mm-hmm. And providing such um, type of support for them. That's good. Yeah. Whoever you are, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you in advance. Yes, it would be much appreciated. So we're wrapping up. I have one final question. Um, so we wanted to talk about disaster, disaster-related contexts. This is specifically, what would you say are the most important resources that are needed when it comes to building support networks before, during, and after disasters? Mm. I, I think our history living in the Bahamas, especially when it comes to climate, huh? tropics mm-hmm. and hurricanes, we know firsthand what disaster is and its impact on individuals and families and communities. Um, our greatest resource, Shannon, and not to sound corny, will always be people mm-hmm. before, during, and after a, a disaster. Our greatest resource will always be people so in building your support network stay connected as much as possible with people and i will emphasize a diverse group of people is extremely important for example short short example um if everyone within your community live in the same social network or work operate in the same social space or support space, and that entire community is stricken by a disaster, who is going to come to your aid, right? If your support network has not expanded beyond your community or if it's not diverse. So diversity is extremely important. Having people, extremely important. And then another resource I would say would definitely be contacts. Yeah, numbers, phone numbers and emails, emergency contacts uh, of people, again, diverse, who would be able to assist 
whether those are service relief organizations that come in the form of Red Cross or Salvation Army or Rotary or the Dignified Girl Project, I'm gonna plug that in right there, or PAHO or BPA, right? Um, but know these organizations, right? Know their numbers, know at least one person and at least two of these organizations. Like people will be your greatest commodity resource or most valuable in helping you navigate a disaster during and after. Build those networks before. So that if, God forbid, you have to go through a disaster, those same people, those same connections, you can draw on. And that's my two cents. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh Thank you for tuning into our podcast. We'll be back next month to talk about misinformation with special guest, Mr. Richard Adderley. If you'd like to learn more about the Bahama Psychological Association, check out our website where you'll find important info like educational flyers and the numbers to our free mental health helplines. That's bahamapsych.org. That's also where you can find our show notes, including all of our sources. Talk to you next time.